Welcome to the Emerging Markets Growth Leaders Podcast with True. On this show, we speak with founders, investors, and industry leaders from exciting businesses across Asia Pacific, the Middle East, and Africa. We ask them to share their fascinating stories and invaluable market insights and experiences across e-commerce, fintech, and many other growth industries in some of the most fascinating locations in the world. My name is Sam Randall, and I am a partner at True Search, the world's leading executive search platform for technology and tech-enabled companies. Since our inception, we have helped tech startups throughout their growth phase from pre-seed to post-IPO in both developing and emerging markets. We have over 350 search professionals in offices spanning North America, Europe, the Middle East, and Asia. This week, true partner and mean lead, Natalie Spree, and I are delighted to welcome Yi Wei Ang, the Chief Product Officer at Talabat, to the show. During this incredibly informative deep dive into product management, we cover what product management actually is, how to get into product management, how to hire product managers, and what a lot of businesses get wrong when hiring into this discipline. So firstly, um, but thanks to both you and Nat for joining me on this um, on this podcast today. I'm really looking forward to getting through some of the, the content we're looking at today, um, largely around product management. But firstly, how is everybody? Um, how have you been keeping? It's, uh, it's been a good year. Uh, good start at least for the first five weeks. Uh, always good to be in Dubai in the winter, spending a lot of time outside, soaking in the sun, Tried camping for the first time, coming in from uh, from Singapore, where that's really not a thing, you know. Really uh, trying something a little different here in Dubai. Well, I've been um, I, I've started um, well, we haven't got as far as camping yet. I think the whole family's too too wedded to indoor toilets, but we've done a lot of sort of walking and and sort of cooking out in the uh, in you know in the in the desert, which is really fun. Uh, but yeah, coming again, sort of coming from Singapore, it's. Um, it, there's there's a bit more sort of at this time of the year there's a bit more outdoor life to to, to lead so but basically let's what i'd like to do is um start mm -hmm. by i guess rolling the rolling the clock back a little bit so um you obviously the the cpo the chief product officer for, for talabat here um great you know obviously great 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 company very well known here um perhaps sort of before we get too so much into that and to product management could you sort of share your journey through to um, to, to your role, sort of how you found product. Um, I think product management means probably a lot of things to a lot of different people. So it'd be great to understand, I guess, what it what it is as a discipline, how you found it and how you sort of made your way into it. Yeah, sounds good. So my journey started, uh, I would say about 15 years ago, uh, way back when I was in school, I started doing computer engineering. Uh, that was my interest. That's where I started. But very quickly as I, I went through school, I realized computer engineering wasn't what I wanted to do. Uh, I was exposed to this field called human factors engineering, uh, which is a fancy word for what we know today as, as the foundations for user experience and design. Um, it was learning about how humans interact with technologies, looking at, for example, how they design pilot cockpits and, and looking at uh, you know, uh, accidents and failures uh, in the past and understanding why is it that, that accidents happen, for example, uh, due to poor design. Uh, so that really got me very intrigued into how humans interact with technology. Um, and I really wanted to spend uh, the next couple of years building that. So my first foray into that was actually not product management at all. Uh, but my first ever role was as a user researcher. Uh, so I spent about two years uh, at IBM really diving deep into how people manage databases of all products. So IBM has this product called DB2, uh, which is a database product. Um, and I was a user experience researcher and designer 
working on a product that doesn't really have an interface. Like I, I spent time on, on, on the console, on the terminal and, and understanding how these database administrators spend four days just backing up their databases and how that works and how that gives them anxiety. Um, so what that, you know, I still tell people that that's one of my favorite roles and jobs I've ever done. You know, as a user researcher, your role is just to go out there, speak with people, understand their pain and conveying that pain back to the team and, and, and so that you can build a great product. Um, it's still today, it's the underpinning for a lot of how I, a lot of how I make my product decisions um, by being really close to the customer and understanding what they want. Um, so I spent about two years just doing that, like going really deep into understanding uh, customers, their behaviors, their problems, their pain points, uh, where is it that things are failing. Um, and I really love that role. I really love that job. But one challenge I found, and, and granted this was, you know, uh, 10, 11 years ago, um, the user researcher job or the design roles back then were very different. Uh, back then as a researcher, your, your role was to sort of come out with a, a report of recommendations of what the team should build and, and off, off they went to, 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 to go build it. Right. Uh, whereas today, uh, I have a much deeper philosophy around <clears throat> how I believe that researchers and designers should be much more integrated with the, with the, with the product and engineering teams. Back then, it wasn't the case. And so what I found was <clears throat> I was very close to the customer, very close to the customer problems. But yet, there was a big divide between what was being built and, and, and what I learned on the ground. Um, at that point I said, okay, like what, what out there allows me to still continue doing this work that I really love doing, which is, you know, understanding customers, looking at data, uh, but also gives me the, the, the depth to actually do something about it. At that point, that's when I stumbled upon the product management role. And, and I think with most product people that you speak with, odds are they've stumbled into it. Why? Because I mean, it's still a very young field. Uh, it's a field that there's no uh, real academic uh, foundations behind it. There's no, for example, undergrad or master's in, in product management yet. I think there's there's a few coming up, but but nothing nothing sort of readily available across across the globe. And so, because of that, odds are people stumble in from whatever field, right? Some design, some engineering, some business. For me, I just stumbled in from from design, um, and uh, and so I stumbled upon my first product management role. Uh, it was uh, it was at Microsoft, uh, of all places, in a very different city. So I was doing my um, UX research role at in Toronto, in Canada, um, and a role opened up at, at Microsoft, um, moving out to the west coast of North America. Initially, it was to go to Seattle, uh, but actually, I had spent a year in Vancouver, their Vancouver office as well. So. So from UX research to uh, at IBM to my first product management role at Microsoft, uh, I moved out west, first to Vancouver, then to Seattle, spent about two years there working on um, their developer division products. So what it is, is it's a, a suite of products that helps people and developers build apps and, uh, and products for the Microsoft ecosystem. And um, it was a lot of fun, you know, it was, it was, uh, Great to work for a product whose number one goal wasn't necessarily revenue generation, but about adoption and engagement of the developer community. Uh, I worked on a product that was the Microsoft Developer Network, which if you can think about it, is, is almost a, it's a documentation page and suite that, that people use to figure out how to start writing their first app, as an example, right? Um, so that was very, got me really close to the, the engineering and tech side of uh, the world. Uh, got to understand how that, that worked. 
<clears throat> and so I was at Microsoft for two years, and I'm, I'm really glad for that experience. Um, there were just a lot of uh, being in a big tech company, just a lot of great mentors and, and more, you know, really, really solid product people that, that I've met. Um, and just people who are very strong architects who've been solving the same problem for 20, 25 years. Um, and there's just so much depth in the work that they do. Um, which which makes you really respect the the level of uh, um, sort of depth that you need to go to in order to crack some of these big problems. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm intrigued by the um, the the IBM um, sort of. I mean, it's all it's all it's all very interesting. But I, I obviously databases are incredibly sort of technical kind of um, sort of beasts, and uh, I think you know I know DBAs um, typically. I've, I've I've done a bit of work with DBAs, and they they tend to uh, fetch quite a high quite a high price for, for particularly good ones. Um, it, that sounds like a really sort of challenging um, place to be able to start conceptualizing the idea of, of products in something where, like you said, there's no user interface. You're basically speaking with the DBAs and understanding what they're, um, do, do you think that, sort of firstly, how, how, did you, how did you sort of get on with the, the entry into that? And secondly, do you think that that sort of helped you sort of later on because there's a sort of an abstract understanding of the problem that you need to have, as opposed to just looking at something on, a, on, a, on an interface. Yeah, I think you have to go deeper. I think it's 10 times harder. Um, I think, um, you know, what you learn, uh, and, and my first two roles were actually with very technical folks, right? One, you know, a group of DBAs, another with, with an engineering uh, cohort. And what you realize is that uh, working with engineers and DBAs and technical folks is, is very challenging because they, they always think that, that they can solve a problem better than you can. Uh, so it's, it's a very, very opinionated set of customers uh, who, who have very strong opinions about how things should be done, uh, but it makes you better for it. And, and you know, one of my, um, uh, you know, I, till today, I really believe it. And, and, and uh, my, my, my journey in product has been very varied, right? I think there are people who stick into one vertical or one industry and do product for that. And they're known to be, for example, a prop tech product manager, but I've gone from, you know, uh, enterprise software as a service to free developer tools to B2B SaaS to prop tech to food delivery. And, you know, I think um, coming from a background that was not super technical and, and, and landing my first role in a very technical team has taught me that, you know, to be a good product person, to be a good designer, you know, you have to empathize for sure. And you have to try your best to really understand the, the you know, uh, the technicalities behind things, but it's not critical. I think what's most critical is for you to deeply understand the problems that your customers are having and, um, and know just enough so that you can, you can apply some of the, the decision-making principles behind that to, to make some of the product decisions. So if anything, uh, it strips you away from some of the assumptions that you know best. You know, a lot of times when you work on a consumer product, especially the ones that you use day in, day out, and you think that, you, you know, you know best and, and, and you can apply sort of the what you think is the best solution to the problem. But in, in fields where you're not the expert, you need to come in with a level of willingness to learn and, and humility that, that always grounds you. And that for me is why I really enjoy sort of trying different industries as well, because it's very humbling when you join a, you know, a food delivery company and people there are people who've been doing this for seven or eight years and you've done it for three months and you're, you need to make some big decisions uh, with how the product should be made. I just want to cycle back a little bit anyway, for people that might not be so uh, technically product minded. In a nutshell, what is product management? Or what does a product manager or SVP or, or CPO yeah. do? Let's, um, let's take it back to principles, right? So what, what exactly is product management? And if you strip away the term for a second, 
um, let's ask ourselves, what do great products, how, how, where, how do great products get derived and what are great products, right? What you'll find is that when good product management is done, it's often, uh, you know, abstracted how much complexity goes behind it. And, and, and uh, if you think about it, a good product requires consumers that love it. <clears throat> it requires a design that people understand. It requires uh, value that it creates that's different from what, what competitors offer. You need to have a business model that works, especially these days when, when you know, you can't just burn money and buy your way through to growth. Um, it requires a technical implementation that is, you know, within what the capabilities of technology is today. It requires a strong go-to-market plan where you work very closely with a marketing team or a sales team to take it to market because build it and they will come doesn't really exist and doesn't really happen. Um, it requires a great, you know, uh, retention strategy where after someone uses it for the first time, the fifth time, the tenth time, <clears throat> how do they find that experience and how do they get help if they need it? So if you think about the best product experiences that you've had in your life, odds are you don't think about it as, ah, just this interface or just the screen or just this feature. It's the combination of the whole experience, whether it's from the moment before you adopt the product, during the, when you adopt the product, when you've used it for six months, it's very holistic in its, in its, in its methodology. Now, if you think about it that way, whether or not it's done by a, a product manager or in many cases in an early stage startup by the founder or by a very, very product centered engineering CTO, it almost doesn't matter, but what, what is always true wherever you build the product and that is successful is that all of these elements need to come together, right? Um, <clears throat> it is not project management in the sense that it's not getting things done on time, on schedule, on budget, but it's the very deep thinking that, that, is, uh, that makes product management role intrinsically T-shaped, right? You, you're, you're one day thinking about, you know, what problems the customers have and what should I be building for? Another day you're thinking about how do I make sure that people adopt this? Another day you're thinking about, what metrics am I moving and, and, and are people adopting in the way that I, I am and uh, that I intended to? And, and I think that's the core of product management. It's, it's really thinking about things holistically. And, um, and I think it starts, you know, if you're, if you're uh, an entry level product manager, you're given a feature in your, or a small area and you look at that area and you think about how you optimize that area and that experience in that area. Um, and as you grow, you're applying very similar thought processes um at a much bigger set of problems um operating at different time horizons right i think that's that's what really changes right you know um, a product manager at, at talibat today might be thinking about how do i um, design the best ranking algorithm so that the the best restaurants get surfaced um and uh and and customers get the best experience and vendors are incentivized to deliver the best uh, service to, to our customers um and uh and uh you know a director uh, and product might be expected to think about the overarching, you know, ad strategy, which includes, you know, how the ranking algorithm works, how our ad products sell, how to work with the sales team to figure out how to price things, right? So as you grow in, in, in product, you know, very similar types of things, just at a different scale and a different time horizon. Mm. So, I mean, I know that you started off doing some coding and then moved into UX. Um, is that considered a traditional path? Um, I'm, I know that we're seeing more and more people coming from sales and marketing backgrounds moving into product. A um, couple of questions here. What's the most unusual background that you've kind of seen or yeah. heard from someone that's gone into product? And then, so 
you know, it's not, as you said, there's no masters or qualification just for product management. And I know it's not just one skill you need. What would you say are those broad set of skills that someone needs if they're considering to move into product? So historically, um, a lot of big tech companies were hiring people that had an engineering or tech inclination. I think that has really changed over the last five to seven years. Um, why? I think more than ever before, a lot of big companies are recognizing, a lot of tech companies are recognizing that great products are, are a bit more holistic. It's not just a great engineering execution. Um, and uh, as engineering leaders also you know, are, are, are taking more and more of a stronger business hat, like great CTOs that you hire aren't just great technically, but they're, they're sharp on, on, on a business strategy as well. And with that in mind, I think the product role then switches something a little bit different, right? So uh, I wouldn't say that my path was, was sort of typical per se. I see a lot of people coming from a lot of different backgrounds and I'm, I'm appreciating for that. I think um, a lot of product organizations that I, I really respect have that mix of people coming from design, from business, from, uh, from, from engineering and, 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 and people play to their strengths and work on different problems, depending on their background. And there's so many problems to be solved, right? Some problems are a bit more backend centric. Some problems are a bit more technical. Some problems are a bit more business centric, like an ad product, right? So when you get product managers that from a very sort of different kinds of background coming in to think about product problems a bit more holistically, it's, it's actually a lot of fun to see sort of all of these different, uh, foundations coming together. Uh, we, we've hired in Talabat, uh, people from very interesting backgrounds, right? I have people with uh, math majors. I have people with, uh, with a background in, in, in a, a master's in English, right? Um, and, uh, you know, what, what it makes you realize more than ever before is that your undergrad and what you studied in school perhaps is less important than, you know, the, the, the years of, of, of honing that you have when, when you jump into product. Yes. Um, I think product management is really about a mindset more than anything else. So what are those general sets, you know, skill sets that you think people need yeah. to have to be a relevant background? I have even heard of people from HR going into products. It's not on that. <laughs> that's exactly. quite rare, but, yeah. but um, yeah, what's the skill set do you think? You know, um, look, let me start with the, the hard skills and then we go into the softer skills. I, I, you know, the, the way that product management is often described as an intersection between the business, design and uh, technology. Right. So those are the three sort of uh, if you look at the Venn diagram, you, you see that floating around uh, in the Internet a lot. about. So that's the intersection of product management. So with that in mind, uh, it's often easier to branch in from one of these areas. Right. You usually have uh, something to lean on for myself, you know, coming from as a designer, I leaned on my design sort of skill set a lot when I broke into product management. I, I did a lot of research on my own. I did a lot of you know, mock-ups on my own. I was very comfortable doing that. And at the same time, I was sort of picking up my, my uh, more of the business commercial side of the, my, my, my skill set and, and really understanding the engineering side. Eventually, you need to be well-rounded enough to, mm -hmm. to know about how all these intricacies come in together to, to build great products. Um, so I think those are the, the, the three components. But there's a few other things that are unsaid as well that if you look at the best product managers around, um, can be underestimated. One is really hard to measure. The, the first one is very hard to measure. And uh, it's something I picked up at Microsoft as one of their interviewing, like what they interview for. It's the concept of intellectual horsepower, almost impossible to measure. I mean, there are some companies like Google or, or P&G that give you these psychometric tests that, that, that test you on it. But really, it's how quickly can you think on your feet? 
And when thrown a very abstract problem, how do you sort of break that down? And are you able to compartmentalize and, and have that systems-based thinking to, to break down really big complex problems into much simpler, understandable terms and attack it at a part at a time? So intellectual horsepower is a big one. Um, number two is a strong communicator. One thing that product managers will always have to do, especially as organizations grow, is to be a strong storyteller and communicator. I don't think that you'll find a strong product manager who's not that. Uh, even if it's a very technical role, even if it's a very technical product management role, you're working on, I don't know, the search algo for Google, you need to be a strong communicator to be able to sell your story and sell the vision of why you're building what you're building, right? Yeah. Um, and the third one is a bit softer, but influence without authority. I think um, product managers, especially if you start out, if you think about it, you don't have a team, no one reports to you, but somehow, somewhere, people still have to follow your guidance and direction. How? You need to be, uh, know, you know how to influence. You need to influence people with data, with stories, with customer interviews, with whatever it takes to sell people in that dream. Um, so those are the couple of soft skills that you know, uh, a lot of people who are breaking product management often forget. Um, it's not just about learning the, you know, the the knocks about how to do Scrum and and how to do you know uh, Agile and 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 how to you know write write user stories, but it's it's a lot more. It's a lot deeper than that. Yeah, I think communication is something that I've really noticed as one of the standalone points of product managers, especially some of the big thought leaders. I mean. Towards the end, we can talk about who you, um, you know, look up to in terms of the product management world. But certainly, um, people like Shreyas Doshi from Stripe, uh, Melissa Perry from Product Lab, they're very vocal. They love to share. And I think the whole product community in general is really helpful for people wanting to get into it. I mean, even on Twitter, there's discussions every hour about all of these in-depth items. I think last week there was one about, you know, the toughest toughest question you've ever had um, in an interview for product manager manager and I think they're all willing to share all their experiences and it just really hit a note with me when you mentioned that storytelling ability and the enjoyment of wanting to share all of that um, so I find that Twitter is actually um, you know leads into a lot of amazing resources for people in products or looking to get into it and you know, product management is one of those areas, in my opinion. Uh, maybe it's, just, it's very similar in others. I just don't have enough exposure to it. Where I feel like the more I know, the more I don't know. You know, um, product is a very humbling field to be in, I feel. Um, where as you grow in, in the product world, the more you realize that to build a successful product and a successful company, there's so many components that come into it. And, and one one aspect um, and another another value that I really see in a lot of strong product managers is, is the willingness to learn um, and that growth mindset and that humility. Um, I think it's so key for a product leader to be able to, to think about things uh, and be challenged on some of the big assumptions that, that you may hold very dearly to you. If you were to sort of, you know, sort of come up two or three things that people should be doing if they want to get into it, or if they're, you know, they're perhaps they're, they're either looking to get into product management or they're looking to advance within a role within product management. What would be sort of a few key things you would recommend that people do to, to, to move in? Yeah. The first thing um, that I tell people if they want to move into product management is try and start where you're at right now. If you're in a company that already has a product management function, it's 10 times easier for you to move into it because... A, you know the people, B, you know the business, 
um, see you can have a bit of a hybrid type model like a secondment where you try product management for three months and come back out if it doesn't work out. Um, it's, it's usually a much safer space to do so. Um, and uh, especially if there's a strong product management function with a with a good manager and a good leader who can mentor and guide you guide you through that. Um, it's often the easiest path. Um, with that, the second piece is now there are a few places where you can start doing some short courses on product management, like some crash courses on a few big topics, right? For example, you know, uh, business model validation or you know, uh, lean startup type stuff where you go out there and you sort of validate, you know, ideas and hypotheses, right? User interview techniques, uh, how to analyze data, how to, how, you know, basics to, to scrum and agile. There are a few sort of foundational topics that I think PM should, should, should get themselves into. So if you, for example, manage to secure like a three month secondment or internship within your company, then formalizing some of this learning with uh, with some online courses. I used to teach, for example, General Assembly, uh, which is not here in the MENA region, but in Singapore, for example, is a very big school uh, that 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 has these 10 week part time courses that teaches you the foundations of product. Walking out of it, you may not be ready for a product management role yet, but you know some of the key pieces. Um, and thirdly, find good mentors. I think that my journey in product has, you know, I benefited a lot from having mentors who I still keep in touch with from companies I worked from before, um, who have been very good, you know, um, who've given me really good guidance and advice as, as, as I went along um, and, and learn a lot from the community, right? You know, like Natalie was mentioning, the community is very new. Uh, it's a field that constantly changes. And with that, <clears throat> there's a lot of learning, a lot of books, a lot of blogs that, that you can learn from and, and you need to just find opportunities to practice it. Who are your favorite um, people that are in the public eye that others could use as resources? You know, I mentioned Treyas and, and Melissa Perry, but who are yours? So um, uh, one author who, you know, the book is literally in front of me. It's a bit of a Bible for product that, that I often refer people to who are even borderline considering jumping into product management. I actually buy this book for uh, any execs who I work with who I feel want a deeper understanding of what I do in product as well is Marty Kagan's books on uh, Inspired. You know, that's his, uh, his last book and he wrote a recent one called Empowered as well. I find it's such a fantastic uh, basics to product management that I highly recommend anyone who's even curious about what product managers do uh, read it. Um, and when you read it, I think it, it gives you a much deeper understanding of how complex product management can be. And Jay, he was over here recently. Uh, sorry, Marty was over here a couple of years ago. I think you, did you attend his, um, his yes, work? Yes, yes, exactly. So about a year and a half ago, uh, Marty Kagan came to Dubai and, and ran one of his, uh, his product courses here. Uh, people were flying in from Saudi, from the rest of the GCC area just to attend this course. And, and it's, uh, it's very rare to, uh, to get strong product leaders from other parts of the world come in to, to, sure. to teach courses. And, um, it's, um, funnily enough, one of the best networking events I've been to uh, in a while. Uh, and the, the people that I've met in that uh, event are, you know, now we're, we're connecting and, 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 and it's like a, a community of product people that have suddenly found each other because of this event. So the, so the, the show on the other foot, I guess, you know, there's a lot of, um, we're seeing a lot of investment activity. We're seeing a lot of startups coming through in the, in the community here. Um, Obviously, a lot of them are going to be looking to to build in product function as as part of their of their growth. How, what what advice would you give to, to to founders and business leaders when when 
looking for product people are there a specific set of questions they can ask or, or how, how do they how do they screen for good product people if they haven't if they haven't done that function before maybe before we jump into how to find and screen an interview for um, product people the first thing that i often tell founders when they say i'm looking for a product person is i ask do you understand the implications of hiring a product person because it's massive if you're a founder um, what a lot of founders don't realize is that when you hire a product person, especially a good product person, you will be challenged a lot, a lot. And a lot of founders are not quite used to that because the last thing that you want to give up oftentimes is the decision on where to take the company and where to take the product. And the product is in essence, the company very, in very early days. And the moment you hire your first product person, especially if she's good is very much about giving up some part of ownership and decision-making when it comes to how the, the product direction is going to be set. Um, I, I describe it as, you know, shared custody of, of, of the baby and, and, and the baby being your product. And, and you have to be okay with that. You have to be ready with that. <clears throat> and, and this is the one thing when founders say, Hey, I really want to hire a, a VP of product or a director of product, head of product. And I always say, well, if you're going to hire someone in that level of seniority, they're going to be even more opinionated than, than you think that they will be. So, you have to be ready for that. Um, and if you're not ready for that, maybe the best thing for you to do is not to hire a head of product. Maybe uh, an experienced senior PM who you can work with daily is, is probably a better hire. Um, so first thing I advise founders is be very careful for what you wish for. Um, and, and, uh, and I say the same thing for people who are interviewing for heads of product roles where the founder has never hired a product person before, which is you have to really understand the culture and the founder and what um, what you're signing up for, right? Make sure that the founder is ready to relinquish some of those decision-making authorities, uh, because if you don't, then you'll just be going in and doing a bunch of execution work, right? And and that's not what great product leaders are, are made of. So um, a lot of intricacies there for sure. <clears throat> now, in terms of how to interview, how to hire, I would, uh, I would really first and foremost hire for culture fit, especially in a startup, right? I think there are a lot of product people with very different backgrounds, you know, working for big companies, small companies, hyper growth companies. And uh, the first product person really needs to be the right fit for you. And, and I know it's a bit fluffy when we talk about fit, but I think the biggest thing around how you make decisions is very key. You know, when you are hiring the first product person, you need to trust that this person will make decisions in a sound way. And, and you need to agree on those principles, right? Um, some companies, you know, are about making sure that you do the right thing for the customers. Some companies care a lot about experimentation and data and every decision you make is data focused. Like make sure you agree on a set of principles for how you make decisions and hire for that. Right. Are you trying to, are you trying to hire a, a product leader who has very strong business acumen? Are you trying to hire a business leader who, sorry, a product leader who has a very strong tech background? So based on that, then you can shape a little bit about the type of person that, that, that you want to hire. Um, and, um, and be willing to share, be willing to share. I think you need to incentivize the product person, the first product person you hire the right way as well. Uh, they need to feel that they, 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 ha they have real skin in the game as part of, you know, part owners of the company, part owners of the product. Um, because in essence, when you're hiring that person, this person will drive a huge part of how the company evolves. It's, it's interesting. Sort of, I think there's uh, perhaps a lot of people don't really 
view the um, the shared custody of the product as as, as that sort of um, that initial part. I think it's it's really good feedback and really good sort of um, advice for for founders. I can imagine that um, there have perhaps been some pretty nasty surprises for businesses as they've, as they've grown as they brought good product leaders in. Um, so I guess um, have you seen it? Have you seen it um, sort of not work in in many occasions? Like you know, are there sort of warning signs you can see earlier earlier on? Sort of how. Yeah, you know, really, uh, you do see this a lot. And and um, it's not for the lack of trying, right? Founders at the end of the day have been working on their problem spaces for however long, usually to the point where they've achieved some level of product market fit um, and got funding. And as a result, they, they can hire a head of product, right? But they've been the head of product for a very, very long time. And, and the reality mm -hmm. is they do know the business very well. They do know customers very well. They have gone through a lot of the hard knocks of, of building the company. And um, a product leader coming in may not have that kind of background just yet. You know, they need some time to ramp up. And because of that, there's often early, early term friction. Um, so it's very important that founders who hire the head of product give the product leader some space to make decisions, but also bring that product person very close to all the decisions that are being made, whether within the exec team or whether with customers, you know, going to customer visits and really understanding problems, you know, bring them really close to data. And, and helping sort of have those intellectual sparring sessions where, you know, between the head of product and, and the founder that, that they challenge each other on some of the base assumptions. <clears throat> if you don't have that kind of working relationship, what I find is if product is going away and doing product things and the founders, I don't know, fundraising and completely being isolated, that's when the relationship really comes into conflict because whatever product decisions are made, there are massive implications to the rest of the organization. And, and that relationship and that alignment it's arguably, in my opinion, one of the, the most important relationships to foster. Have you seen scenarios in which um, a better outcome for the business might perhaps be the co-founder moving into a CPO role and hiring a business person? I, you know, I, I think that more and more, um, more startups should really think about that, you know, uh, because hiring a head of product, like I said, is, is such a big decision. Um, if you want to hold on to it, if you believe that that is the piece that you don't want to give up, uh, then don't hire for it. Right. then really hold on to that as, as, as long as you can. And we've seen startups in APAC and startups in, in many other areas where the founder did eventually switch into more of a product-based role. And I think that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. You know, um, <clears throat> at the end of the day, it is the soul of your company. Um, I would argue that it's probably the last head of or C-level role you should hire for and, and, and keep that as close to you for as long as possible uh, until you find that right person that, that, that you can really jive with. Um, another consideration is maybe promoting someone internally uh, who who has that strong product acumen, uh, who has sort of grown with you along this journey and, and has, you know, that, that strong design edge or that business edge who can take on this role that you already know who's very aligned with your way of working and way of thinking. Uh, that might be another alternative as well that people should explore. And that aligns with what you were saying earlier, UA, about people looking to get into product. Start where you are. So there, there are opportunities. Is this something that you see happen and hear happen? people moving yeah. into their existing companies yeah i think so um and as people jump into it i would i would advise one thing which is recognize that if you're going from one field and jumping into the product that there is a lot to be learned um and i know sometimes when you're really busy and and, and and you're jumping into just executing on things in the startup it's very hard to pick up some of those core skills but it is very important it is very important that that product you know, people build that foundation, especially as you build a team around you that, that they're grounded on very similar foundations because there's also very bad products being built. There's very bad product management in the industry as well. 
you know, um, a lot of what product management uh, is in MENA and also arguably many parts of the world is glorified project management, right? Uh, a lot of product people are just given things to do and they execute on it. And, and the, the challenge when you don't have the right foundations and build the right product culture is that it leans towards that because it's an easy thing to do. Command and control, here's what you build, here are the features, go get it done. Um, the much harder thing to do is to build the right product culture where it's about, you know, experimentation, long-term thinking, building teams of people who are obsessed about customers and problems. That's hard to do. Um, yeah. So if you're, you know, a first-time product leader jumping in from a very different field, get that mentorship, get that foundation so that you can build the right culture for your team that scales. Um, otherwise, you'll find yourself in a break point a year or two from then and re require someone in to, 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 to come in and clean it up. Just thinking about sort of exploring that, that point a little bit, I think it's sort of analogous across um, other sort of disciplines within startups. I think, you know, if you look at it, it sort of really leans into, you know, agile, agile software development, sort of, you know, the iterative agile process. Um, and I think that we've seen sort of historically when businesses try, have tried to adopt agile principles, they, they basically end up with waterfall and post-it notes. Um, and they haven't perhaps been able to really fundamentally bring in the the the, the ethos and the overarching kind of fundamentals of the of the of the of the sort of um of the discipline. Do you think that that's sort of similar to what you're seeing with poor product management and that it's it's basically people don't understand the concept of what is actually trying to be done? Yeah, with at the risk of being a bit too philosophical, I think <sighs> You can't really blame a lot of the product managers as well, because mm -hmm. 70 or 80% of it is the environment that they're put in, right? Um, I do believe that companies need to embrace a very different way of uh, building tech products. Um, and when that foundation is not set, it's very hard for product managers to succeed. What does that entail? Yeah. That entails uh, a CEO or founder who understands that most problems in the company can be solved with technology and product, uh, the appreciation that product is the company, number one. Number two, an appreciation for that product and tech or engineering problems aren't solved uh, from the top. They are solved from people who are really close to the problem, right? So that means product people, engineering people, design people being very close to the problem, the customers and the data and being able to some come to some, sort of come to those conclusions themselves and how they build product, right? Um, it, it, it's about thinking about product teams, not as <clears throat> project teams that of, of resources that you move around every two to three weeks, depending on what features that they've shipped and move on to, to other things, but product teams that own long-term problem spaces really immerse themselves into problems so they understand that vertical really, really well. Um, it's about an experimentation mindset where, you know, product people and, and engineering people are given the leeway to, to test different business models, to test different ways of building a feature, to test, you know, the assumptions of design that they have, right? You need to have that, that level of um, freedom of, 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 of leeway uh, that allows these product organizations to succeed. And, and finally, the, um, the, the, the leadership that, that needs to be part of it to, to, to sort of guide and give this product organization focus, right? And so you're not solving 10 problems, you're solving a very focused set of two or three problems every quarter that, that, that is the most important. So it's very hard. I think um, as CEOs, um, as non, especially non-product or tech-focused CEOs, um, 
need to sort of have that appreciation for if you want to build a product organization, it, it takes a lot in, 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 in the, oftentimes a change in DNA as well, yeah. uh, make this work. Um, and without the right environment, even the best of product people won't be able to thrive and, and, and do their best work. And if, if somebody was in a, in, a, in a sort of environment like that, I guess that, you know, there's two, there's sort of two sort of possibilities for it. You've got a leader that, that doesn't understand products and either the person can change or they can't. Um, what are your sort of thoughts on, and how would people go about bringing that leader into, into products and making them understand perhaps some sort of reverse mentoring or, or something mm -hmm. like that? How, how, how do you know, cause I, I can imagine that this is probably a, a something that a lot of product management people will be experiencing quite a lot of the time, given, the, yeah. given the, the the new sort of nature of the the, the, um, the discipline. So, what, what what advice would you give to people that are perhaps in that in that scenario? Number one, it's very important to not do things in isolation at that point, right? Um, especially when, even for example, if you have a new CEO that joins an organization and there already is a product team, um, it's very important for the product team to bring the leader really close to the problem. A, it makes them feel like they have some level of influence and control over, over the area, right? And, and, and that they're involved in the process, that things are not just happening without, without them knowing. And if product is the soul of, of, of what is a startup and a tech company, then it's really important that the product leaders get really close to it. Um, number two is to show the thought process. Right, strong product leaders show that they're thinking about business problems, they're thinking about design problems, they're thinking about go to market, and and that and and if you show that very holistic way of thinking, you're also building trust with that CEO to to show okay, this person is thinking about things very holistically. That there is a lot of depth in, in how they're thinking. There are a lot of assumptions that we need to validate. It shows also the level of complexity that goes behind some of these decisions that need to be made. And I think a CEO's job at that point is to say, hey, look, like. Here are the decisions we can make a little bit faster. Oh, by the way, I can connect a few other pieces of the business together to help you guys make decisions faster. I see the CEO's role at that point as almost an enablement role, uh, a role that unblocks the product organization. If, for example, there's a sales leader who you know, is not so keen on trying a new business model, that the CEO paves the way for some of those things to, to happen. Uh, and if that's done, I think that's where the relationship between the product leader and the CEO can also build. And at the end, relationships at work are built when you solve tough problems together, right? Um, and when that happens, A, you know, the CEO will, tr will really get to understand and see how product works as a function, the relationship between the CEO and the founder builds. Um, and I think that's where more and more that shared custody, more that custody can move towards a product organization when, when, when trust exists. I think we've we've done quite a lot in product management now. Um, for, is there any other, are there any other sort of you know, sort of real nuggets of advice you'd like to like to give, or anything other points you'd like to really share specifically on on, on the product management side. Yeah, one, uh, I think one thing that people don't or, or don't really appreciate uh, enough is the fact that product management is a very fast changing field. And what is great product management, for example, ten years ago, is not quite the same anymore. And and I expect that to also change moving forward. Um, I remember 10 years ago, you know, when I was working at IBM, we would, we were, for example, just at the cusp of talking about how to move from waterfall to agile. And the role of product management at the time was how do you implement agile, right? What is the concept of a uh, cross-functional squad? What does it mean when, you know, product people don't just sit with product people, but product people sit with engineers and product people sit with designers. And we forget that that was only 10 years ago that we were having this conversation. 
And product management at the time, the, the most high leverage thing that you could do at the time is to make sure that the team embraced agile and ran properly and, and, and had that methodology, you know, really uh, solidified so that the teams could run well. And it was the right thing to do, but it evolved. It evolved because agile became a bit second nature. It was, you know, at this point when you hire an engineer, like that is the only way they know how to do things, which is great. Uh, you see the, you know, engineering managers and leaders stepping up to take on some of those responsibilities <clears throat> to, to champion quality, to champion velocity and speed and iterations and moving fast. And that's fantastic. So then the product role also evolved, right? Five years ago, it evolved to be a bit more design centric, a bit more, okay, like product people should be out there, how to get out of the building, validate assumptions, speak with customers and validate design and mock and do mock-ups and this and that. That's great, you know, to see product managers not just being technical and, and, and about running the team, but about getting really close to customers and, and, and knowing what to build. Now, the, the third wave that I'm seeing more and more of and, um, and I'm really pushing for <clears throat> is product people being business leaders. I think that's a very big shift, right? It is to say that product people is not about just running your team. It's not just about building products that people love, but doing it in a way, and Marty Kagan talks about this a lot, in ways that moves the business forward, right? Just because the customer loves it doesn't mean that it's a sustainable business model, especially in this day and age where you can't just buy your way to the next 100,000 users. Um, you do need to have a very strong business acumen that very similar to, you know, how these FMCGs structure themselves, where you have these business managers who own sort of a business line, you know, you could own the Tide product end to end, you know, uh, in an FMCG company and you own the development of it, the go to market strategy for it, the pricing strategy for it. I think that product management is headed down that path where product leaders are leading more and more to become business leaders. Right? You need to really understand how your business makes money. What are the, what are the cost structures of, of developing a product and shipping a product? Like I work in a food delivery company where there are a lot of intricacies of, of, of the, 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 the P&Ls uh, of, of the decisions you make, right? Do you optimize for quicker deliveries or do you optimize for you know higher delivery fees? What do you want to optimize for? Um, and it's very important that as a product leader, you start familiarizing yourself with, with, with uh, the business. And that's why I also think that um, having people with strong business backgrounds joining the product organization is, is, a, is a really good new addition uh, to uh, the product field. I'm seeing that more and more, which is really not a bad thing at all. I think what's um, interesting, we're seeing increasingly um, sort of people from the, I guess, sort of the creative design thinking side becoming more and more commercial in these types of roles. It sort of really leans into what you've said there is that the the blend of that sort of creative journey is really starting to blend into the, the, the business journey and, and, and you know, the, um, the success of businesses often is where those two come together and, and work, work in surreal harmony, which I guess is the centerpiece of where the, the product management function sits. Um, yeah. 100%. And what I love about it is when you combine the two, there are some methods that, that come up as well. You know, how do you experiment with pricing as, a, as an example, right? You take something that's purely commercial, apply a bit of experimentation and product hat to it. And all of a sudden, you know, you, you get very creative with, with problem solving a problem that you've been, people have been looking at for a very long time in a very experimentation or product led way. Yeah, I've been hearing a lot about experimentation recently um, among kind of product leaders globally. Um, is, are there any kind of new emerging trends in product that you're seeing? Look, experimentation has a, it's always been a bit of a buzzword, um, but the, the foundation of it hasn't really changed, right? 
which is the willingness to say that your assumptions that you have today could be proven wrong, right? Um, that what your business believes in, what you believe in, what designs you think are right, are just assumptions, right? That mm -hmm. you do need some facts to, to, to guide your decision-making. And that's what experimentation is about. How do you get to those answers as quickly as you can with the right people so that it, it, it narrows down all these big open questions into much smaller open questions uh, and, and knocking them out the assumptions as, as one at a time. Um, I think what one thing that a lot of people get wrong is what to experiment on, what to do, what they, we call discovery on, which is figuring it out and what you can just run with, right? And, and um, fundamentally it breaks down to how risky is this decision that you're about to make, right? Product management is all about what decisions you make, design decision and business decision. So how risky is the decision you make? And if it's not very risky, move, move fast so that you can spend your time on the biggest, riskiest decisions, then focus your attention there, right? Um, I think as a, as a product management practice, we're, we're learning a lot about different methodologies, right? We, a lot of the big successful tech companies have very strong experimentation frameworks. They do A-B testing, they do multivariate testing. They're, they're testing hundred versions of Facebook at any given time, you know, and, um, and, and I think that's really good on the quantitative side. I think when you, one, one thing that's one trend that's emerging as well is when you also merge that very nicely with the, the qualitative side with the strong, for example, research function, that's when magic really happens. Oh, that's great to hear. What is there anything that you'd like to see change in product management in general? Anything that needs fixing? One thing that I think we should change in product management is what I mentioned a while ago around the environment. I do think that most companies today still operate product management like a glorified project management shop. You know, it's CEOs hiring product managers to just execute on things. I think that if that happens. Um, I think it, it, it does a disservice to the entire product management industry. And I also think that it's not leveraging product management to its true potential. Um, and you also produce a lot of product managers who've never done product management work, even though they've been working in product management for five, six, seven years. And, and, um, and when they open their eyes to what, what, what is available out there and what real product management is, it's very frustrating for them because they're like, oh man, I could have, I could have really um, focused a bit harder and, and, and learned a little bit more uh, during that time. Yeah, I've certainly seen that here, as you referred to, kind of the program manager, project manager role moving into products. So I'm not sure um, how successful that is. Um, we've spoken about people looking to get into products. We've spoken about um, founder CEOs on hiring product people. What What do you think is the future of product as a role? I mean, you look at you look at people, you know, Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, they were the product managers of their businesses at a time, you know, then moving off to something bigger. What's like your general thought on this as a function? As you said, it's continuously evolving. So you always have to have a growth mindset. Where's it going to go, this world, this function? I really, really, you know, do think that a lot of it is about being closer to the business. And I wonder if the transition to this will get us to a point where product leaders almost become that de facto GM of a, of a product line, you know, uh, as product people become much more commercially savvy because they're close to the business, they're close to the customers, they're close to engineering. They, uh, it, it lends them very well to almost start owning more and more of the PL of, of, of a business. And I'm seeing this more, uh, usually not product leaders stepping into, you know, maybe the primary product, but oftentimes, you know, 
the second or third product line of a company, you definitely see product leaders step into that. Uh, and big tech companies hiring CEOs who who have, for example, uh, have a much stronger product background, right? Uh, I believe LinkedIn recently did something quite similar where, where um, the, the, the leader of the business is very product savvy. And, and we'll see more of that. Um, and I'm excited for that change because then it's a real appreciation for the fact that um, the product role is very, very tightly coupled with the business role. Um, yeah. And so when we see the, these transitions of uh, product leaders into general management, into more the business side of leadership. That's when I think that the two worlds really marry up with each other. What's your What's your overall view of the e-commerce market in the Middle East and and the startup market? And I guess from a you know from a broad perspective as a as a, a, a growth industry as a whole, and and also from a, a specific um, product management perspective. So let's start with the the tech and product scene in the Middle East, the startup scene in the Middle East. Uh, for a second. Um, coming in from Singapore, I was in Singapore six or seven years ago, uh, where, you know, I, I moved to Singapore and when, when, when I went to Singapore, we were just discussing, you know, what product is all about. Uh, a couple of years before that, we were just discussing, okay, what, what's UX all about? And you see the building and of, of the UX communities, of the product communities over time, and, and the industry really matured. And you saw a lot of investment, a lot of startup activity, a lot of exited companies that allowed for alumni to sort of leave and start different companies. And, and that network of, of, of tech really happening in, in APAC for the last couple of years. I see that the MENA region is going through a very, very similar wave, right? Now you have a couple of tech companies in the MENA region that have really made it, right? You think about the likes of, uh, uh, you know, uh, Kareem or Property Finder or Talabat or, um, Dubizzle, OLX, you know, there, there, there are quite a few sort of magnets for talent today. Um, and as these people leave and start companies and try new things, that's when the ecosystem will start to, to build and grow. And, and you see, for example, a bunch of uh, people who've left Kareem over the last couple of years since the Uber acquisition are now starting their own startups. And, and I, I think that in the next two to three years, you'll see a lot of these startups getting funded by ex-Kareem folks who you know, uh, who have very, very good foundations of uh, and understanding of the region. <clears throat> That's very exciting to, to see. And you pair that with an industry that has an immense amount of purchasing power, um, uh, uh, a very strong inclination towards convenience more than anything. Anyone who's lived in the Middle East for a little bit uh, can tell you that convenience is at the heart of everything that we do, um, which lends itself very well to thinking about problems that, you know, uh, in e-commerce uh, very, very, uh, very, very well, right? Uh, at Talabat, for example, we're, <clears throat> we've been thinking a lot about the concept of Q-commerce, which is in a very hyper-local setting. How can you get anything that you want to your home uh, in a short period of time, right? We're challenging ourselves to say, how can you get groceries to your home in 30, 25, 20 minutes or less? And uh, we've built our own dark stores. We, you know, we, we, we're getting as close to our customer base as possible so that the delivery distances can be really short. And I think that that's something quite unique about, uh, about this region as well, uh, is that you can do that. You can experiment that. You see a lot of very interesting models being, being done, you know, field delivery happening in the MENA region. Kafu is delivering uh, petrol and, and, and getting into your door. Like that's, that's something that I don't see being experimented a lot. And, and that's exciting. You know, I think that the Middle East has an opportunity to, to challenge uh, some of the existing business models, you know, some things that you've seen in, in other parts of the world. Um, so 
new models coming up. And also there are a lot of existing business models that haven't been brought to the Middle East, right? Sam, you and I were discussing buy now, pay later, right? As, as a concept, you know, no one's really cracked that fully. Um, um, digital payments hasn't been fully cracked as well, you know, in, 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 in the way that it's been cracked, for example, in APAC. So a lot and a lot of opportunity, in my opinion, in, in the MENA region and whoever's willing to stick it out for the next two, three, four, five years, I think we'll get an immense amount of growth uh, from the region and there'll be a lot of fun building it. I, I think what, what's really interesting about that growth trajectory is, you know, in, in many ways, as we sort of mentioned, the, the MENA region is a little bit behind some of the other markets. It's not as, as developed in a lot of its offerings, but my, my feeling is it's gonna, it's, gonna, um, it's gonna catch up with those very, very quickly. It's going to probably do it in less than half the time that the other regions have it because a lot of that thinking has been done and a lot of those products have been built and there's perhaps analogous businesses that can, um, where you can sort of take the ideas, the learnings from here. But what I'm really excited to see and what I'd be really interested to see is what, what as you say, what then is put on top of that and what is made sort of bigger, what, how that. these ideas are made. Exactly. And, and how, and then, you know, it's going to be a few years before we see this, but then what filters back out to the rest of the world, that sort of ripple effect of the ideas coming back out again. It's a, it's a fascinating, it's a fascinating time here. So. And the wonderful part about the MENA region is that you get a level of ambition um, that you don't see a lot of, right? I, and, and, and a lot of the founders that I speak with here don't just think about cracking MENA. They think about cracking things globally. So the ambition is there. The ethos is there, the work ethic is there, the willingness to jump into it is there, the funding more and more so is there, the, 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 the talent is coming in. So I think that lends itself to just a really good blend of ingredients to, to, to make things happen over the next couple of years. Wonderful. Um, okay. Uh, now, are you going to join us on the quick fire questions? Let's do it. Okay, go for it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So um, on to the quick fire question round. Um, first question is, what is the best advice you've been given? Every problem that you encounter is an opportunity for you to build your toolbox. So any problems, whatever it is, business design or otherwise, is just another tool that you're adding to your toolbox and it will serve you for the long term. So all problems that you have, short term pain, it'll get better. Oh, wow. I don't know. There's I've, I've kind of sprung this on you. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's not something I've thought about before. I mean, I spent 15 years in investment banking. It's a whole different skill set, toolkit, you know, that you need for that. And then 12 years here. Um, I wouldn't say I've actually sought out advice, but I think I'm, yeah, self-learner. I mean, that growth mindset thing. I've absorbed everything from everybody around me. And I suppose I give that advice to others. You know, I would work with JC and Sim, the founders of the Bizzle, in the really, really early days where we were just sitting in a front room in a villa, that was our office. Um, and just to absorb everything all the time. Um, so you're, you're naturally taking on all of this advice around you, but I can't put my finger on the key points. Okay. Um, where is the first place you will visit post-COVID? I will uh, spend some time in uh, Asia, I think. I think it's time, uh, it's been about a year since I've been back to Singapore. So that probably is the first place I'll hit as long as they don't hit me with a 14 day quarantine. Oh, and me, well, I would love to say that I want to go on some amazing holiday somewhere, but I, the correct answer is probably just to see the family back in England. <laughs> I think it will be almost two years since I last saw them. So um, yes, go and see the parents. Um, what is your most obscure hobby? Um, 
not very obscure, but I love diving and photography. So I'll park that aside. But the most obscure one is during the year at some point when, especially when things get really, you know, stressful and whatever, I will immerse myself for at least a couple of hours and play Minecraft of all games. Yeah. So there are nine year olds out there playing Minecraft. And then there's me building random <laughs> things in a, in a digital world. So that's a very obscure hobby I have. So my, my four and six year olds are, are, are really into Minecraft at the moment. Um, but yeah. Oh yeah, mine have been through that phase. I, I genuinely don't think I've got anything particularly obscure. Um, I do kind of, <laughs> I used to be a sculptress with clay when I was younger, um, like before art college. And as I got older, I transferred that into cakes. So I made really elaborate cakes that are sculpted with sugar paste rather than clay. So that's something I kind of do for fun, which most people don't know, but definitely, yeah, the cake stuff, pretty big on that. Excellent. Um, what is your favorite terrible management slogan? And mine is, when the tide goes out, you can see who's been swimming naked. <laughs> this one uh, this one was a very hard question to prep for. Um, I, I said move fast and break things because on one hand it's true. On another hand, if you misconstrue it and you apply it in the wrong time, it could also end disastrous in, in, in disastrous outcomes. Uh, so move fast and break things. I find myself saying that a lot, but also saying, mm, there's a caveat to it. I think it's really similar UA because mine is done is better than perfect. Um, it really depends on the application and the scenario. Sometimes that can work, but other times disastrous. Okay, two questions to go. Um, tell me something that's true that almost nobody agrees with you on. This is something that most people will agree with me on, but they won't do anything about it. I, I, I think almost every company that I've been to and, and every ambitious company, um, for example, will always want to do too much. Uh, one of the big things I push for is focus, right? Focus wins. If you pick two or three big things, you will be better off betting on those two to three things than trying to do too many things at once. Um, but always picking very ambitious companies, we always have the temptation of doing too much. Uh, so oftentimes the people around me don't fully embrace the fact that sometimes focus is what, what is needed for us to win. Um, for me, I probably say these things every day. I, I wouldn't say that almost nobody agrees with me, but it's the fact that no matter what your business is, no matter what you do, how skilled you are at the top, your people are everything. Without your people, you are nothing. Um, without great talent, you won't be a great business. Um, so for me, I'm always kind of popping on about that and how, you know, you can still stay lean, but you have to have the greatest talents in order to differentiate yourself from your competitors. Last question. Uh, we've had some really wacky answers on this one. Um, what part of the future are you most excited by? Personally, in the, in, the, in the medium term, I'm very excited about the growth in the region and being part of it. Um, and uh, I'm excited for the next couple of years here. Yeah, me too. After 12 years here, um, it's still moving at such a fast pace, particularly now after COVID year. Um, I'm so excited to see things developing, um, especially over in Saudi as well, like the three big mega projects that are going on. I think there's going to be such a knock-on effect. It just feels like when you start thinking that we've got somewhere in the MENA region, um, this whole new burst of energy comes through and all of these great new innovations and ideas, great new talents moving into the region continuously, 
there's a lot of fallacies around that people were leaving from COVID, you know, everyone's fleeing the MENA region. I mean, it couldn't be further from the truth. And I just think that there's there's so many great talents here. There's so much innovation. There's so much ambition and drive. And yeah, I'm super excited for the next five years and what we can do across the region. Okay, and that brings us to the end of the podcast. Iwe, um, thank you very much. Natalie, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, and thank you, yeah, just thank you for joining me. Thanks for having us. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Emerging Market Growth Leaders with me, Sam Randall. On the next show, I'm delighted to welcome Alan Wong, the CTO of Indonesian B2B e-commerce marketplace, Ula. Alan joins me to share his journey from Canada through Europe to Indonesia and launching one of the country's most exciting startups. I look forward to seeing you all next time. Stay safe and farewell.